You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the, you the best. Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. I'm told the Canucks are willing to entertain the idea of retaining salary on Besser. There's nothing worse than letting your buddy go around you like no big deal. You're not doing your, your friend or your, your, your teammate justice. I would suggest that it's more likely that Colin Delia gets that game at this point. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Uh, good morning. All right. Hey, dog, good morning to you. Good morning. And Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. I think you should save that for the Canucks. <laughs> Not necessarily the introduction to our radio show, it's our high-energy morning radio show. It's just another morning with you. Like, ugh. It is Friday. There's oh, something. that's good. That's good. That's good. Now, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? What happened? The Canucks went back to school, also known as practice, yesterday. Uh, it was another day where the Canucks went through their paces. But the big, the big takeaway here is that uh, Rick Tockett held session with the media after practice. And there was a lot of really good audio from that, or a lot of really good quotable clips from the head coach. And then, later on, the Canucks had Dyson Ice, mm-hmm. their annual charity fundraiser, and Talkett spoke again, also at great, a great length, this time on Canucks Central with Satin Dan, and had even more intriguing things to say. So at the end of the day, I have about eight or nine clips that I think embody almost a lot of different topics, but one central theme for Rick Tockett and the Vancouver Canucks. And that is, they're too good a hockey team. That's not it. That's oh, okay. not, that wasn't they're, the biggest takeaway. Like, oh, I thought he was going to be like, I don't know what to do with a team this talented and this hard on the puck. Yeah. So not, that's not that. That's wrong. Okay. What uh, the big takeaway was remember uh, when they lost to the Seattle Kraken 6 1 and then Tockett. Came out and called his team soft, but but I thought he I, I thought he walked that back with you in the interview when I I missed that interview, so I'm I'm relying on you. I thought he came on the show. He's like, no, I I, I didn't call them soft. That's I didn't right. Mean to call them soft, he walked it back. Mm-hmm. But now he's learned the trick. How do I call this team soft without actually saying the word soft? Well, we have about six or seven different clips, and basically the the underlying theme of them is that he doesn't think they're I, I don't like saying they're hard. You know, like he, he doesn't think they're hard. He wants a <laughs> he wants a hard team. See, this is what happens when you have a very juvenile radio show, is that like everything is taken as a stupid joke. They're soft, but he wants them to get hard. Right. He wants them to get hard. Uh huh. There, I, I mean, listen, listen. Let, let's. <laughs> yesterday, I listened. I haven't actually heard the Dyson Ice um, audio, but I Let's listened to. I listened to his entire scrum after, after practice, and he started talking about new Beauvillier, um, new, new Beau, Beau new Beau. Um, Antonio Beau, Beauvillier, as, as he's occasionally known, 
Um, and he was asked by IMAC, who was doing a story on Beauvillier, you know, what he thinks of, 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 of the player. And Tockett, you know, he, he, he actually kind of didn't mince words. Like, I, I'm sure IMAC was hoping for this, like, oh, yeah, he's, he, he's great and all. And, and Tockett, as we've seen, is, is not afraid to openly and publicly criticize players. He basically said, yeah, he's playing with Pedersen. And you know what? When you're playing with Petey, I don't want him playing too fancy. And we we know the certain things already because Tockett has spoken a lot and been quite open. We know the things he's harping on. Does he like east-west hockey? He would prefer north-south hockey. And north-south hockey, if you're if you're confused by all this, north-south hockey is just direct hockey. Just get the puck, move it up, and go to the net. Because that's where goals are scored. And if you have to uh, go through someone, then go through someone. Right. And we've talked a lot about that show, a, a, a lot about that premise throughout the years. The, think of how many perimeter players or dipsy doodlers have, have been on the Canucks that have been frustrating that can't get to the net. I mean, they drafted a power forward that refused to go to the net. Right? This mm-hmm. is something that... Um, Rick Tockett has been harping on and even though some of his see I think the risk that Tockett is going to run is that he's going to be labeled an old school coach that's the risk he's going to be run basically people are going to be like you're Pete Carroll like Pete Carroll wants to just run the ball and but Pete Carroll like talks about like you know like the game is won in the trenches Mm -hmm. and and this sort of stuff and maybe I'm old school but I 100% agree with it Right and 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 running the ball and and the willingness to to take the ball and just just you know take it and go through the other team, it's a similar idea to what Rick Tockett is preaching. He has time for talent. Like sometimes you need to make an east-west play. You know what a cross-seam pass is? It's an east-west play, right? But there is so much. Uh, t- there's way too much of that in the Canucks, and there's not enough north-south, and why don't you just run through some of the clips that you've collected here, because I know you've prepped it, and we can start with some of the some of the um, the practice audio, maybe just with him saying the, that he wants the Canucks to go through people and play hard hockey, and then he, he was he was he was so angry that he basically choked on his own rage. So why don't, why don't, why don't we start, start there? Why, why, don't, why don't we start with this clip? This would be the clip where um, Tockett wants the Canucks to go through people and play hard hockey. This is uh, from the scrum, Laddie. This is from the scrum. Yeah. Well, I, I think the, the group is trying to work hard. I, 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 it's not an excuse that I know the coach stuff. We, I wish we had more time. Um, they just got to know it's a hard game, you know, and I, I, I felt against the Rangers there was some good effort but we just you got to go through people you got to stick people you got to mark people and we have a bad habit of spinning away from people and I don't know that's that's going to take a long time that's hard hockey Um, and you're not going to be a winning team if if you don't embrace that you know that pain where it's and I don't care if you're small or a big guy you don't have to kill a guy you just got to make sure you mark your guy sorry my throat's yelling too much <clears throat> Sorry. So D zone, I, I, especially the Rangers, like you know, 
you got to make sure if you, you go on Panarin, I don't care if you're Pedersen or if you're Hughes or you're Joshua Dakota, that's your man you go through. You don't have to kill him. And I feel we come off our check way too much. <clears throat> but that starts a training camp. That, that, that starts weeks and weeks of pounding and pounding and pounding it. So we got a lot of work to do. I'm going to be quite frank. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not an indictment to anybody. It's just that's the way it is. And we have to, as coaches, exhaust everything we have to make sure that these guys understand that. There's, again, there's one big takeaway from every clip you're going to hear this morning. It's that and, and you, if we even take it out of the calling them soft realm, think of it this way. He basically wants to change every single thing that they do when it comes to how to approach a hockey game. That's the bigger way of looking at it. He, they want to play east-west. He'd prefer they play more north-south. They can't kill penalties. He would like them to do that. They're soft. He would like them to get hard. Right? All of these things, practice habits, line changes, philosophical approaches. Did you mention shot blocking? He wants shot more blocking. More shot blocking. Let's go there next. So this was a question from JPAT. Can we get the part of the JPAT question in there as well? Because I think that's important. Because he was talking about the number of shots, nine, that they blocked the other night in that loss to the Rangers. And talk, it's like jumping in to say, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. And then JPAC continues his question. Here now is another thing that the Canucks need to do differently. Block more shots from the head coach, Rick Tockett. Rick, where do you, where do you stand on <clears throat> shot blocking and the need to block shots? Well, he had nine last night as a group. Like, is that a... Not that enough. Yeah. We have guys who are pelly killing that don't block enough shots. And I got to find people to do that. It, it's not... It, listen... It, it, I get it, you know, but there's certain times when you just got to block that shot, you know. There's just no excuse, you know, six minutes left, and that's you're the flexo guy, and you got to get out on the guy. That shot's got to be blocked. So, yeah, that's another part of the process here. We have to block shots. So he is talking about all areas of the ice mm-hmm. when he's talking about playing north-south and going through guys. But let's not forget why he was brought on, to, and that to do, yeah to do this. But okay, well, hold on a second. Don't don't complete my thoughts if you don't know where I'm going. Why he was brought on was because the Canucks allow too many goals, and it's still a problem. Yeah, part of it's goaltending, part of it's goaltending. And by the way, we'll get to the goaltending story in just a bit. Uh, but a lot of it's going to be in the Canucks' own end. And he clearly thinks that they don't defend with enough conviction. And you, you can't just run around out there. And he knows that. You can't just run around. And he said that in the shot blocking. Like, well, you can't just run around looking for shot blocks. But, like, when the time comes and the opportunity presents itself, you have to make a hard play. And he talks about spinning away from guys. And he doesn't mean that, like, when you've got the puck. He's not talking about, like, Connor Garland is spinning away from guys with the puck. I mean, he might be partly talking about that. But a lot of the spinning away stuff is when you're in your own zone and a guy's coming at you and you got to check him. Well, it's not always comfortable to do that. Like, it's it's hard, and sometimes it hurts, right? It, <laughs> And so let let's hear Rick talk talking about how he wants the Canucks to defend with conviction. 
Yeah, we well, you, you got to defend with conviction. You know, I know, and I know the goal you're talking about. The defenseman's got to take Panarin's stick. It's, yeah, that's a, you know, Sergey and Footer like well, they were masters at. You know, once you got a guy, you take a stick. There's no goal. You know, there's certain mm-hmm. little details that, but that's got to be done in practice. So when we do a box out drills in practice, and we'll do, a, we'll start doing a lot of them. You know, that's what you do. I remember coaching in Pittsburgh with uh, Crosby and uh, and Latang. They would go at it with vengeance right. in front of that because they, they were challenging stuff. And I want to get that here. You know, I want PD going in front of the net and Husey taking his stick and boxing him out. Like, mm-hmm. that's the only way that you're going to get better. So, uh, And then when the games come, it's natural. It's like brushing your teeth in the morning, right? right. I, I know exactly what I'm going to do. So, you know, things like that is uh, – I, I don't want to say non – they're kind of non-negotiable because mm-hmm. you got to be able to do that stuff if you want to win. And, uh, you know – these guys are willing to learn. I, I, we've had great feedback from them. They're asking questions that they want to learn. So I, 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 some people are going to label this old school type of hockey if they, if they want to criticize Rick Tockett. But don't forget, he's making a lot of um, references to recent Stanley Cup winners. And he was on the bench for two of the most recent Stanley Cups because he was an assistant coach with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And even though Sidney Crosby doesn't have, you know, the numbers, the career numbers that Rick Tockett had in terms of penalty minutes, it was never like, I got 100 points and 300 penalty minutes. Be tough to get to Tockett's <laughs> Well, we'll talk about that in just a bit. But Sid is a very, very intense competitor. He doesn't scream and yell and, and, and bash his stick out there like some people. He doesn't let everyone know how intense he is. He just goes out and competes, and he is a very, very competitive guy. The other guy that Tockett references a lot is the most recent Stanley Cup champ, and that would be Nathan McKinnon and how intense he is, to the point that Nathan McKinnon actually had to dial it back a little bit. But he's not losing that intensity. And there will probably be times when Nathan McKinnon crosses the line with things he says to his teammates. But also, but but he walks the walk, right? Like, he plays with an intensity out there. Mm-hmm. We also have to remember the head coach and how different his career was than the previous coach. The previous coach was a guy that put up lots of points. But he wasn't an intense competitor of Rick Tockett. And frankly, he didn't have much of an NHL career. Rick Tockett had an NHL career. Scored a lot of goals, mm-hmm. played a lot of games, and racked up almost, get this, 3,000 penalty minutes during his NHL career. Yep. Now, he doesn't expect everyone to be as tough as he was and to rack up those types of penalty minutes because nobody does anymore. Remember, you know, one of his prime pupils in Pittsburgh was Phil Kessel. He wasn't asking Phil Kessel to go drop the gloves, but he was asking him to buy into certain things because he knows that soft teams don't win the Stanley Cup. Mm -hmm. He's trying to build the Canucks an identity. He sees the same things we see when we watch the Canucks. Not a fast team, not a smart team, not a particularly tough team. So what are they? He's trying to develop that. Now, whether or not he's going to be able to do this with this lineup, we'll, we'll see. 
But he's putting a lot of focus on the guys that will be here next year, yeah. and that is Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson. Yeah, and it makes – I guess, you know, when you said oh, people are going to push back and they're going to give him a hard time for being, quote-unquote, too old school, I wasn't sure if people would. And then right away, almost on cue, we get a text into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket. Unsigned. Quote, Tockett will drive this team into the bottom for the next two years until he is fired. I'm getting Mike Keenan vibes. I suppose if that's the vibe that you're getting, I'm not going to do a vibe check for you, but I get the polar opposite, to be perfectly honest. Sometimes I think that Keenan was all about motivation, and I don't mean in a good way. I mean constantly lighting uh, fires under butts and trying to keep guys on edge and playing mental war games. Rick Tockett has a very clear vision about what he wants to do and the way he wants the team to play. What's more... And this is something that Alvin and Rutherford said when they introduced him, and I wasn't sure it was true, but it clearly is. He's a very good communicator. He doesn't just say something and then not back it up with a very, very specific example. So, for example, yesterday, he's talking about what makes a good wall guy. Very specific, very narrow, kind of inside baseball, hockey nerd-ish type Mm -hmm. answer that maybe a lot of people wouldn't necessarily care about. Wall guy. Uh, He puts up plaster. A little bit of drywall, boom, he's out. Stupidest superhero ever. Right. Nah, like he's wall very, guy. He's very, very basic. What do you do exactly? <laughs> I put up walls. Yeah. <laughs> he hangs drywall for a living. But anyway. He, he's talking but, about battling along the boards. Yeah. But the way that, again, maybe I'm over like stating how cool I thought this was, but he all of a sudden goes to a very specific example in a recent game talking about, and I think this is important, one of those guys that is probably going to be around here for the future and a guy that he's clearly investing a lot into. That player, Vasily Podkolzin. Here's the answer to a question about wall guys talking about Podkolzin and then what he has for the future and then back to what the team needs to do to establish an identity. Here's Rick Tockett last night from Dyson Ice. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. We're playing Jersey in Jersey, and um, you know we're, we had a really good game. There's two minutes left. Jack Hughes was still on the ice, mm-hmm. and the puck was rimmed to Pod Colson. And if he doesn't get that puck out, we have tired guys on the ice. Jack Hughes gets that puck, right. could be trouble. And he did a reverse pinch. He, the way his technique was really good, he got that puck out. And uh, for me, for me, that play there is as good as scoring a goal. Right. Like, I don't think, I shouldn't say I don't think, I value that as much as anything. Uh, like, our staff values that. You want your teammates to value that. You know, everybody always looks at, hey, who scores the goal? But who's doing those little things? And Pod Colson, who's a young guy and still learning, you know, he's he's still trying to get himself to stay in the NHL. That's a big play, and we praised him for that. We got it out. We survived that mm-hmm. shift. So that's what a good wall guy does. You know, when when and it's also the technique. That's why the, the twins are good at it is, you know, how do you def- how do you when you know the pucks come to you? How do you take a guy's hands when the guy right. pitches on you instead of they, they keep the puck in? Now, the other thing I like about Tockett is that every time that he references um, players or levels that they want to get to, it's always the best in the game. Mm-hmm. It's always Crosby, McKinnon. He alluded to Daniel and Henrik there. Like, so he understands, and I think this is part of his career too, is that he was this big, bruising guy that could also play a skill game because he scored a lot of goals, but he played with some of the best. He played with Lemieux. He played with Yager. He played with the par excellence of the day. So he understood... That toughness isn't about face punching because the skill guys, and he talks about Crosby all the time, the modern NHL is your, your quote unquote skill guys have to be 
your hardest guys. I hate saying it out loud, but they have to be that. Because mm-hmm. otherwise it goes away. It fades away, right? So the next level for Pedersen is going to be developing, and I don't know if it's going to be to the level of Crosby and McKinnon, because let's be honest, it's a really hard level to achieve. There's the reason they're the two of the best players of their generation. Yeah. If you fall short of that, that's okay. But you want to try and get there. And the other part talk it mentions all the time is once you make these habits, when you get thrown into big games against Sidney Crosby and the Penguins or Nathan McKinnon and the Avalanche, you're prepared to go up against it. Mm. That's really all that it is. It's a simplistic approach, but the Canucks don't have any of that in their game right now. That's why they give up five or six goals a night. They, they don't have it. They don't know what it takes to shut down an opponent or find a moment in a game where you need a very specific play, like the Pod Colson one, for example. Mm-hmm. Now, the real question is going to be, does he make that play in a high-pressure, high-battle environment where the score is knotted at two and it's the third period of a playoff game or a game that you need to win to get into the playoffs against a very good opponent? That's what Tockett's really trying to get at here. And I think that <laughs> not many guys on this current roster are going to be able to cut the mustard. Let's just be honest here. Yeah. I mean, I, he talked at length about Gonchar and Foot, and talking about techniques, like not just well, you know two but, very different type of players, right? But right? he but he was lauding a lot of the defensive work that Gonchar mm. did, like the ability to uh, lift sticks and box out. And I mean, I guess you have to do that if you're going to be a borderline Hall of Fame defenseman for as long as Gonchar was. But the interesting thing was he didn't talk about it in generalities. I don't want to pile on Boudreaux, but Boudreaux's answer to a lot of these questions was often like, well, they got to want it more. They got to outwork the opponent. Mm. And Tockett's saying it's, yes. But there's but a technique. There's a technique to all yeah. of this. And he's, mm-hmm. I mean, he said it. He's you like, got to get hard and go through guys. Yeah, that's the technique. Yeah. Get hard first. Yeah. Right? You're hearing it more and more. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately on this show. Don't but, go don't go through someone and then get hard. <laughs> yeah. Get hard and then go through someone. There's an order in place. However. Is this part of practice, you think? Does he write this on the wall? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. It's just understood. Okay. Everyone knows you gotta get hard. But um I, I think what what's happening here is he he's saying that Gonchar and Foot are out there teaching. But what I think is really happening is Gonchar and Foot are out there evaluating. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to teach a 27-year-old defenseman to do these things. They're like, either you can do it or you can't at this point. Who's responsible for Pedersen laying guys out now? Like, PD's, like, become really physical lately. I mean, I'm loving it. Don't get me wrong. It's awesome. But, Look, like, I swear, every game I see Pedersen hit at least one guy I think, really I, hard. I think he's gaining more confidence doing that. I he's think, good at yeah. it, too. Yeah. And, for example, I think yeah. Hughes getting busted in the nose with a puck and coming back with a shield. Remember how he chased down his brother uh, when, it, when yeah. Jack had the breakaway? Yeah. Like, there was one thing that Quinn Hughes was not going to let happen on that shift, and it was let his brother score. Did right? you guys hear Petey's interview with uh, Merrick and Frege on the beach from the All-Star yes. game? One of the things that he said was um, he was asked what's something that specifically that you're working on, and he said puck protection. And one of the things he said is, I get knocked down too much. I get knocked over too much. So part of that is technique, protecting the puck, but also it's just getting stronger on your skates. Mm-hmm. And I think we can all agree that he needed to get stronger on his skates. He, f- yeah. he fell down a lot, um, and he's he still falls down quite a bit he gets knocked over quite a bit but I think he's he's getting better at it and he's probably reaching the point in his game where he's been in the league for a while he's like yeah I I get knocked down a fair bit but guess what I could knock people down myself if, if you're looking to be 
at the elite of elite levels, then you need to have such a complete – you can't have flaws in your game or things that guys can take advantage of. Guess what? They will time and time again. That's how you win those battles is you find someone else's weaknesses. And you, you hear all these great stories about the greatest athletes and how they'd work on individual parts of their game. I remember Botch used to talk about Murrah Pedersen got his shot to the level that he did. He broke down in like 16 frames. Yeah, he worked on it. He's worked, obsessed with he's it. He's obsessed with it. Obsessed with it like yeah. a golf swing you would be. You'd just be yeah. like, you take every segment of that shot. Yeah. Sorry, my throat's <clears throat> yelling too much. <clears throat> Sorry. Ah, God. Choking on my own rage here. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the best. Halford and Bruff. Eight oh three on a Friday, Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. I always like to let this one breathe a little bit. That is a flugelhorn, correct? We're talking, yeah, flugelhorn. Yeah, it sounds like a keyboard flugelhorn, but yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a flugel. Uh, the official theme song of Chris Faber. He had no say in the matter. We just foisted this upon him. We foisted the flugelhorn on Faber. There's some alliteration for you, huh? Okay, let's go to the phone lines. Chris Faber, Canucks Army, Canucks Conversation, joins us here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Fabes? Hey, guys. How's it going? Uh, we're good. One, thanks for doing this, too. How is the uh, – the? did you actually buy an alarm clock? Yeah, and I was just telling Balak I uh, I like forgot to even turn it on last night. Oh, so nice. I just like went to sleep, and the phone came through, but uh, – I don't know. I've been struggling this week. I'm I'm lucky that I'm awake right now. You guys, I've worked with you guys in the morning show, and you guys, I think, brought up some worries about my energy drinks. So I've quit Ooh. energy drinks for the last like ten days, and I was like, I was thinking it was like smoking, right? Like Yikes. after day three, it's like ah, you know, like you know, you're not thinking about it as much. It's just not the case, and I'm day ten <laughs> here, and uh, I don't know how long this is gonna take, but I'm ten days sh- without an energy drink. Are you supposed to shake this much when you don't drink <laughs> energy drinks after a while? <laughs> what, what was, I was your like, oh? What was your energy drink intake? Uh, it was like one a day. Just oh, one okay. a day. Okay. Like, I wasn't crazy, but it was one, like, and then that would be the most productive, like, five hours of my day. It was right <laughs> after that. And now it's like, I got quads messaging me, like, he still wants two articles a day for Canucks Army. And I'm like, I can't write more than 40 words into an article here. So, uh, I don't know. I'm drinking a, a hell of a lot of tea, chai tea. It's not helping at all. Coffee is just useless. So, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on, but uh, maybe like I should just celebrate going, uh, you know, like a 10 day cleanse. That might be what we're doing here. Or just go back to bed or something. Yeah. Uh, just after this, but stay with us for a while. Hey, hey, um, Fabes, we were having this discussion about the, the message that Rick Tockett is sending and how the underlying message, um, without actually directly calling them soft over and over again, is that. <laughs> They are soft, and that they need to learn some hard lessons because the NHL is a hard league. Um, do you bristle at that when you hear that? Because some of our listeners do. Uh, or do you generally agree with the message that Rick Tockett has been sending? 
Yeah, I agree with a different message being sent to this Canucks team. I think that's uh, something that's a nice, fresh feeling kind of here in the organization where a lot of these things that that we kind of heard from from Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford when they first came in here. It's like now they're actually finally backing up a few of the things that they've been saying kind of with the coach, with the trades like the Bo Horvat one, uh, potentially what's happening here with Brock Besser and Luke Shen, whatever happens in the near future. But I think there's, there's obviously – a place here in Vancouver with this Canucks team to have a different message sent to them and, and try and coach them in a different way. So I've, you know, I've enjoyed dealing with Rick Tockett up to this point in the season, obviously dealing with Bruce Boudreaux as a media member was great. He was excellent with us in the media. Uh, I think Tockett's, you know, he's good with the media, but in a different way. Um, And I think a lot of us are appreciating some of this honesty that's being said about this team because yeah, there's there's certain people that just like to root for the Canucks and hope that they win games, but the people that want to see them really start to turn things around and do it the hard way, this is, feels like everything that Rick Tockett's been telling us. Like if he if the stuff that he's talking about is actually being done behind the scenes with this group, and and I do think it is. Like I, I think that practice that they had the other day, where they just passed the puck, stopped, you know, a whistle went, then they talked about really simple things, like. That's that's got to be embarrassing, right? Like that for for certain players, like when that's going around on social media uh, and people are just kind of like everybody in the hockey world's kind of talking about this practice situation with the Canucks. Like that's got to be kind of embarrassing for the players. And yeah, that kind of feels like the tough love that we've kind of heard so far from Rick Tocca up to this point. Does he have the horses to make this a success? Well, no, I don't think so. Not right now. Like there's, there's definitely a lot of changes that need to happen to this Canucks and specifically on the back end, right? Like the, the defense needs to really have a makeover. And I don't think that makeover makes this team ready for it next season. I don't think there's enough on this Canucks, like in this Canucks organization, whether it be players that you can trade draft picks that you might want to trade prospects that you maybe want to move on from, like there's not enough here in the organization right now to be able to rebuild the defense for next season or the year after that. So I, I think it's going to be a two year plus thing. So it'll be interesting to see how that timeline of actually having a competent defense matches up with Rick talk, even being here, right? Cause it's not like coaches have the longest shelf life. And I know he's earned himself. Uh, I think it's two years after this one on his contract. Uh, but it's like, is what's it going to be like by the end of that? Like maybe that's when we actually start to see some of that those seeds that you planted in the defense flower pot kind of blossom into a flower at that point. That's what you want to see. It's just, is it going to be that possible to get it done that quick? It's, it's going to be a, a tough spot for talk to be in, but if he can present that he's doing the right process and seeing improvements, that's going to get him another deal after this one. But I don't think they have the horses in this current contract that he's on to really be a, a team that you think can only maybe make the playoffs, but also actually, you know, compete in the playoffs. Hey, here's one. I forgot about this guy. Gerp just texted in to the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket. Uh, don't worry, Jake Livingstone will fix it all. Yeah, what's going on with our boy Jake? That was our we were going to sponsor. Him. Remember, we we're going to get him a name, image, likeness down in the NCAA. But then we just kind of f- forgot, which is very apropos for the show. I'm Jake Livingstone, you're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show. That was the farthest the relationship ever got, right there. Uh, but you were the one that got our attention onto him in the first place. Have you kept tabs? Yeah, absolutely. He's he's the number one college free agent coming out uh, this year. He's going to be 24 basically when he signs that deal or within a couple days of that entry level contract that he signs with some NHL team. 
Um, from talking to some people around him, it sounds like every single NHL team is interested. Okay. Um, I think that's pretty obvious. <laughs> six foot three, six foot four, right shot defenseman who has a real long reach, plays power play, penalty kill, uh, top pairing minutes for one of the best teams in the NCAA. Like everybody's after him. Okay. Um, so it's going to be about ice time, right? Like that's what I've heard. It's going to be a decision that comes down to like. You know, he, he's not going to try and play for the Tampa Bay Lightning, right? Like, it's probably not a, a smart idea. Go over and play for some team with right shot defense. Like, so you look at teams around him and it's like, okay, the Vancouver Canucks, not only could he play right defense, he could be the number one pairing guy. Like, you wouldn't be shocked if he just started playing with Quinn Hughes coming out and signing. So, it, it, you know, when you look at that, there's not a lot of other teams in the NHL that can offer him a defense partner of the caliber of Quinn Hughes. So... I know there's interest from the Canucks. I know there's interest from his camp to potentially make it with the Canucks. And like I said, every team's in with it. So you can kind of expect Livingstone to be able to pick whatever team thinks it's the best landing spot for him. So it'll be interesting to see because the Canucks have a pretty nice little spot for him if he does want to land in the NHL right out of college. Does anyone care that he's 24 years old? Because, I mean, it's, you know, there's guys that are in the NHL right now. They're 21, 22, and are you know, actually a couple years already into their careers. I know, like, from the NCAA football version, he's like uh, the Georgia quarterback, Stetson Bennett. That guy's right. like 31. Stetson Bennett the fourth. Yeah, right. He's only 25, but now he's going to presumably be drafted into the NFL. It's just different because the shelf life of an NFL player is so much shorter. But does anyone seem to care that Livingstone's 24? Is it not that big of a deal? Well, that's the thing, because nobody cared when he was 18. Like, that's kind of why you have to look at these guys when they're when they're 23, 24, and you see them develop in the NCAA. And I, I think the NCAA has done an incredible job over the past, what feels like maybe 10 to 15 years of really making that like an extremely competitive league. Like, you can watch WHL, and it's, you know, very good hockey, but the structure and the way that they play like pros in the NCAA just looks a little different. And I think when players are 23 and they've been there for a few years, what you're expecting isn't a prospect like you're you're expecting a player i think that's the difference so people aren't looking at livingstone as a guy that's coming into their prospect pool like teams are looking at him as a guy who's playing nhl minutes like you know we, we mentioned nick blankenberg i think like a couple weeks ago on the show is joking around but like that's an example of somebody who was much lower caliber of an NCAA free agent defenseman. He's coming in and playing NHL games immediately and then gets a decent amount of a, a run with uh, Columbus this season. So, you, you know, with this player, like he's he's an NHL defenseman. Like, I don't have a doubt about that. He's going to come into the NHL and have success. It's just going to be about who he's playing with and where he's playing in a lineup to kind of see what that success kind of translates to for an organization. What's the hardest thing about scouting fabes in your experience is it assessing what the talent level actually is in the player and sometimes you have to go okay well what kind of level is he playing uh, what role is he playing or is it trying to extrapolate how much better that player can get yeah I, I think it'd probably be the second one is be talking about what they can project to and i think a lot of that comes from, at least from when i watch players a lot of what i kind of scout players with is that the fact of like okay if, if they do this one thing that's going to hold them back they can only go so far and then you kind of like when i watch a player like you certainly start to like see what they do and what their strengths are that really kind of excite you but i also think of the things that can limit them and if it's enough things that limit them to make you not believe that they can be an nhler like that's not a player you should continue scouting that much so for me it's it's more about seeing a process like i i, I couldn't just watch a prospect like if you just gave me like five hours of film of you know 
some players like first five games or whatever of the season. Like I wouldn't be able to tell you much like there. You can learn a lot from like Danilo Klimovic is a great example. If you watch his first game of the season last year in the AHL and you watch his game last week, it's completely different. And you're seeing things that aren't really limiting him. Like the things that would limit him when I first watched them don't look like they're going to limit him as much. So you have to be really excited about like about the development of that player and how they're continuing up. Mm-hmm. So I, I think if you can project that the right way, that's probably the hardest thing at least with scouting is like, if you can see the, the way the trend is going and you can find the end, that's kind of the hardest part of the whole thing. When you watch, uh, Atu Ratu play, um, I think the thing in Vancouver is like Bo Horvat had skating issues and, and he fixed them. So there's this, um, I don't want to say assumption. Maybe there's just this optimism and there's nothing wrong with optimism that, you know, any player with skating issues, um, those issues can be fixed. Um, do you see fixable issues when you watch Ratu skate? Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, I think he, there are times when he looks decently quick and then there are times where maybe there's some sort of consistency problem. Cause it's like, he's barely moving, but there are times where he's like really quick. I, if you watch his two like overtime goals that he scored for Bridgeport, like he flat out burns his way to the net from his own zone on beats, both players. And you're like, wow, like, that was not bad at all. Like, why does he do that every time? And then I guess that would be more of a consistency thing is can he, does he need to do something different with how he's taking off his first three strides, how he's you know using the edges of his skates, whatever it may be. Uh, there's a lot of things where you're, you know that it could be there. So I think you have to have a little bit of excitement about him growing his skating. Uh, the interesting thing with Ratu is also the fact that he, he was very, very excited, I'll say, to to work with the Sedins because when he talked about the Sedins to me a couple of weeks ago, he was saying that it's just like those guys didn't, you know, become really good NHLers because they were fast or because their skating like went through the roof at some point in their careers. It was like, no, they were really good at being really good at one thing. Like they were excellent on the boards and doing give and go passes. And the fact that Ratu kind of mentioned he wants to be one of those give and go type players and there's no better two guys to learn from ever in, in the history of the NHL, I don't think, as much as the Sedins. So like there's a, there's a great spot in development for him there. Uh, and the fact that Abbotsford has a, a good skating coach, like I don't I don't think they should get him out of Abbotsford anytime soon. Like you you want to leave him there and let him do these developing things for a long time. Uh, and then hope that you can get at this player at the NHL level with those things kind of not necessarily taken out of his game, like the weaknesses, but at least kind of, you know, rub like a little bit of an eraser on the whiteboard with and take off a little bit of those issues. Um, and I think that's something that can happen because it is a good environment out there in Abbotsford for him. Have you had a chance to chat with the Sedins at all out there or do they, do they keep to themselves for the most part? I'm just wondering who they're working with, uh, how much they're involved out there. I know the Canucks have like, a thousand different coaches working with the big club now. Um, what what has the Sedins in, in involvement been like? Yeah, the Sedins. I mean, maybe one of them's taking the day off, but from what I hear, like they're they're working like seven days a week, like seven days a week. I'll, I'll say this because I know this for sure. Like at least seven days a week, a Sedin is around the rink, whether it be Vancouver or Abbotsford. Like these guys are working seven days a week. They when they're not in Vancouver uh they're in Abbotsford with the with the players out there that's kind of the way that I've heard about it so they're out there quite often you know if Vancouver's on the road and Abbotsford's at home they're spending a lot of time with the Abbotsford players then if there's a day off today I'd likely expect that the Sedins are probably both at Abbotsford in about two hours here with their practice in Abbotsford it's just they're 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 
working so much like they're working a ton uh for this organization from what i hear and maybe it helps because there's two guys so you know a 40-hour work week can be split between two guys maybe but <laughs> it is kind of like uh from what i've heard at, at least like from the players from both vancouver and abbotsford players is like yeah whenever they're not in abbotsford they're here in vancouver when they're not here in vancouver they're here in abbotsford it's just you know these guys are around a lot and on the ice a lot with these players Speaking of Abbotsford, uh, Nils Hoaglander. Now, he came up in conversation a couple times this week. We had Vince Mercogliano, uh, Rangers reporter on the show, and he was trying to connect dots between him and Vitaly Kravtsov, about two young guys that maybe just need a change of scenery and there might be a fit there. Um, what's your read on the Hoaglander situation as it stands? Yeah, I, mm, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly. I think... Um, I think he's fine in the spot that he's in right now. I think he's pretty comfortable. He's really good buddies with Linus Carlson. They're getting a chance to go down there and play together. Um, Neil's also got a ton of NHL games before being sent down to the AHL. So it's a little bit of a, a weird situation of, you know, development, not being ruined, but being placed kind of in a different part of his career. So I, I just think that he's fine with what he's doing down there. I know he's having a good time, um, at least from, you know, talking to him or about being in Abbotsford. It's fine. It's not a bad thing. I don't think for him, uh, he doesn't believe it that way. He's enjoying playing hockey. I think he's having more fun playing hockey, which is a good thing. He's also a lot more angry, uh, than he was when he was in the NHL. So maybe, maybe good, that's coming good. to the show as well. Good. But, uh, yeah, he's like, if you guys remember when he was drafted, there was like videos of him, just like every time a player came to hit him on the boards, he just like threw an elbow up. And like that was a consistent thing in Niels Huglander's game in the SHL before he came over here. Um, and it's not like he's at that level yet. Like maybe he's learned not to do the elbow, but like he's he's pissing a lot of people off when he's playing against him in the AHL. And it's pretty awesome. Like it, it's it's the the Niels Huglander that gets you excited, not just about because, listen, he's super skilled, right? Everybody knows that like he's he's a skilled player with the puck. But is he like elite, like top of the league with how he handles the puck? Like, no. But he can have these other things that people get excited about. And one of them is kind of being a little bit of a rat and pissing people off. Like the angry hog's the best hog, I think, when, you, uh, when you're talking about Niels Huglander out there in Abbotsford. And he's doing it lately. Yeah, get him some energy drinks. Speaking I, 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 of. I can, I can think of one person who misses his energy drinks. Well, speaking of faves. It's a very energetic, energetic hit, yeah. though. Well, you know, I'm, speaking of this, in the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket, countless listeners are here to help you with your plight. And someone wrote in, tell Fabes to try liquid pure ginseng and royal jelly. Then I had to look up what royal we, jelly. Yeah, royal jelly. Oh, I, sounds it, expensive. Uh, it's not what I thought it was, but uh, okay, I'm just going to read it. Royal We're jelly. We're going with it, okay? Okay. It is a milky secretion made by worker honeybees that is rich in protein. Oh, wow. You had me at milky secretion. Yeah, I was going to probably had a lot of people with that. I'm glad you had honeybees at the end there. I was <laughs> yeah. worried for a second. Royal what? Uh, anyway, so there's a, there's something you can try. I am neither advocating for nor against this. I just, we're doing what we learns. So now, Jason, we've all learned what royal jelly is. Yeah, I wish I hadn't learned that. Do you guys okay. sell the milky secretion here? I've been told it works well. What kind of store is this? Fabes, okay. Fabes go back to bed. See Thanks, you, buddy. buddy. Yeah. All right. Enjoy the weekend. Have a good one. Thanks, Fabes. Uh, Chris Faber, Canucks Army, Canucks Conversation here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. It's Ask Us Anything Friday on the Halford and Bruff Show. We haven't really done what we learned. many, um, but we'll do some on the other side. So text them into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650 650. We are giving away Canucks tickets today to the best Ask Us Anything or what we learn connects tickets to Saturday's game against Torts 
and the Flyers, Chayton and Surrey with an Ask Us Anything. Which city or team had the worst sports breakup? Was it Edmonton and Gretzky, Vince Carter and the Raptors, the Nordiques leaving Quebec City and then immediately winning the Stanley Cup in Colorado? Was it Patrick Waugh and the Habs? Any others? And he says, not including LeBron, since that's an obvious number one. Mm. The Patrick Waugh one for me was uh, the one that I – it immediately came to mind because it was so public yep. and it was so um, salacious, the whole thing. Like the, the story was that he got, well, not everyone knows it, right? He got left in uh, in a game which he allowed, what, eight goals? And then when he was finally pulled. Nine goals. Whatever. Who's counting? He went to the bench and he told the team president, get me out of here. Like that is crazy. Yeah. That and that it, happened to a Hall of Fame goaltender see, like Patrick me, Waugh. To me, that's a bigger, more noteworthy breakup. And I know this is going to sound crazy than the Gretzky-Edmonton thing. Because the Gretzky-Edmonton thing was a lot about the owner needing the money. But also, Waugh went to Colorado and then promptly won Stanley Cups. That was the—I mean, for whatever Gretzky left Edmonton, he never shoved a Stanley Cup back in Edmonton's face. Like, that's important to note about this whole thing. You know what was a huge one, too? Chris Pronger and the Oilers. Because I feel like they're still feeling that. Yep. That was a big one. And then he goes to Anaheim and he wins the Stanley Cup. Well, Pronger was ripping on Mark Spector on Twitter the other day. Oh, yeah? For what? <laughs> so he's still... Uh, I forget what it was, but it was... Uh, he, he made some comment about Jesse Pugliarvi and, and threw Todd Marchand under the bus for some reason. So he was coming, back, coming out to stick up for Todd Marchand, but... He still obviously holds some ill will towards Edmonton and the media. There. It's a good one, but it's the top three in hockey. Pronger doesn't make the top three. The top three in hockey, Gretzky and Edmonton is up there. But I think Waugh and the Habs is one. Gretzky and Edmonton, two. And then I think Lindros and the Flyers. That was that was something special. I would say right? Lindros and Quebec City. Well, there's that one, too. <laughs> That's fair. They is were he, never is together. He, is he allowed to go there? Do you think? Do you think they let him in? I think time has healed all wounds. Quebec? Really? Yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, I think I think so. Lindros, there's, there's some grudges, I think. You know what's crazy is the – I remember when we did the Winter Classic in Philly, how revered and beloved Eric Lindros is among that fan base. Like I, Philly? I, yeah. I knew he would be, but the de- – Do you mean Philly or Quebec? No, he's I was Quebec. talking about Quebec. Right, right, okay. Yeah, I think yeah. time's probably – I just I had a buddy from – a Quebec buddy, and his dad, I just remember as a kid, any time – we mentioned Eric Lindros. He would just start swearing repeatedly, <laughs> just just long swear words in he, French. He, well, yes. Uh, other he other hated him. Uh, outside of hockey, other really good sports breakups and divorces. Kobe and Shaq in the, with the Lakers. That was like, I don't know how many titles they would have won together, mm-hmm. but it would have been a lot, and they just couldn't. You know, what you about know Shea Hillenbrand and the Blue Jays? Yeah, that one's right at the top of the list. The well, ship the, is sinking. The one that I think of recently, and it was close to this area, Earl Thomas and the Seahawks. Was a bad break. That how, had how many more years did Earl play after that injury? It was just one, wasn't it? Yeah, he went to Baltimore. Played. Did one. he get? Did he get paid big time by Baltimore? Did mm-hmm. that? Did that injury actually cost him a lot? And he of had money? that whole thing with his brother that was weird. Okay, um, <laughs> you remember that? No. Oh, look it up at the break. That's why I'm not saying it all out loud on the air. Okay, but uh, Earl Thomas's stand stands out because of the visual. Yeah. Remember flipping the bird on right. the cart going and you're like, oh. Like, I bet they don't come back from that. <laughs> I bet the relationship is over right there. This is an interesting one. The okay. Canucks continue to slap Boudreaux in the face when Tockett is constantly criticizing the team's fundamentals. 
Talk had actually alluded to this yesterday. I think it was in his post-practice availability, not the Dyson Ice one that he did. He yeah. said, listen, this isn't an indictment on anyone when he was talking about some of the things that the Canucks have to improve. But it is. It's an indictment on everyone that's put together this team and coached this team for the last, what, I don't know, Three or four years? I heard that too, and the first thing I thought was, that's what someone who's doing some indicting would say. Yeah. He's it's being like, honest. This is what he feels. It's not a slap. If, if that's a slap in the face to Boudreaux, well, you know what? You know how Talkett says, so be it? Well, so be it. This team stinks. I find yeah. They've got so much to improve on. I find it's it, crazy. It's refreshing, to be honest, very refreshing. I, I nearly, so I nearly, I nearly swore there. It was yeah. like, this team. We're that close. Right? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. So many coaches don't God. say anything, though. So it's nice to hear a coach that actually says something. I got so, no problem with it. So I'm happy many guys he's got are just the, like yeah. they give you the answer. Like, all right, I've heard that a million. times. And we'll see if we'll see if it evolves. Yeah, right, right he's, now, just he's talk, coming in right now, and he's he's being honest. Uh, like maybe he's going to have to be uh, cognizant of that if it doesn't get the desired result. Well, we see guys like Daryl Sutter and eventually his brutal honesty that we all love and he tells it like it is. Eventually, the, some of the players are going to like, hey, I don't like that anymore. And guess what? I've got power over you because I'm not going to do the things that you want us to do. Well, that's a good point. Also, on that note, I have noticed that we need to come up with a term for the talk it walk back. We'll walk it back. The, the talk it back. The talk back. The talk it back. He's done it three times now. So he called the team soft and then explained that he didn't call the, the team. The talk okay. and walk. The talk and walk it. Thank you. Uh, he also <laughs> That's said, enough. Yeah, please stop. We're spending too long on yeah. this. <laughs> we are workshopping this far too far. Okay. Um, he also said in one of the clips from yesterday when he made the grade school remark, he's like, I didn't really mean to go back to grade school. And I was like, yeah, you did. And then um, this most recent one that we were talking about where he's like, it's- <laughs> You gave them juice boxes, Rick. <laughs> yeah. And then they had a nap. <laughs> Uh, it was and, great. And then the third one is what we were just talking about, where he's like, I, I, I don't want this to be an indictment. It's like, well, but you just indicted everybody. So I think this is how the playbook is going to go, is he's going to speak candidly. He's going to speak off the cuff. And then if he feels like he needs to go back and clarify something, he'll do that, as opposed to being guarded. And that's fine, right? I mean, we live in a society where you say what you feel and then just apologize afterwards. It's how the circle of life works, really. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, though, once it's out. It's not, no, that you just, you but here's you the try. thing. <laughs> you don't need to uh, put the toothpaste back in. You just need to clean it up. That's the important thing to remember. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.